You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Uh, We are in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 17. We're going to read 17 through 21 here. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life, capital L. Look at that. He didn't didn't say capital L. It's a capital L there for that word life. Uh, Speak the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Okay. Let's take a break here real quick. We have the apostles, the disciples. They have now waited. Christ has ascended. He told them to wait until the Holy Spirit shows up. The Holy Spirit showed up. They've been empowered to begin speaking in tongues. They testify. The gospel is being proclaimed throughout Jerusalem. People are coming to know Christ. They're coming to follow him as Savior. And we just saw earlier that there was a healing in front of the temple. We see Peter and John heal this crippled man through the power of Jesus, and they use that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. They're thrown in prison, and then they're released from prison. Remember I talked about being a boldy a few weeks ago? That's a word in this area, apparently, is boldy, which drives me nuts. Um, that and look it, please, don't say this around me. I will point out that look it is not proper English. It's annoying. But uh, being a boldy, like we, we, we have that they're arrested, and they say, okay, we'll let you go, but don't preach. And they say, no, we're not going to do that. We have to follow God. Is it better for me to listen to you or God? We're going to go with God. So they're, they're already, these apostles are, are already defying what people say they should do. They're preaching the gospel, and people by the thousands are coming to faith in Christ. So look at this, verse 17, the end of that verse, and filled with jealousy. The Sadducees are filled with jealousy, so they arrest them again. We've already arrested them once. Let's do it again. Why? Because we're jealous. See, what do I take out of that? Christianity should be something that makes every other religion, every other belief system jealous. Why? Because there is power in Christ. There is authority in Christ to change hearts, to heal sick people, to make broken people whole again. There's authority, and that should create a jealousy in the heart of any other belief system. I feel like, by and large, that is not the current state of the church. They get mad at us, absolutely. They don't like our opinions, absolutely. But are they jealous over the life that we have? Every other belief system should be jealous and weak. They should appear weak because we have strength now in Christ. These Christians are doing something right out of the gate. They're hot, and everything's happening all of a sudden, and there's jealousy being stirred up by these Sadducees because when they had power, they feel like they're losing it. They had life, and now they feel like they're losing the life. Does that make sense? Something is happening drastically here. Muslim, Jew, Hindu, atheist, agnostic, whatever, should look at Christianity and say, why when they pray do things happen? Why when darkness shows up, do they bring light? Why when death happens, all of a sudden they bring life back into the community? Every other belief system, 
Whatever it is, if you say you don't have a belief system, you have a belief system. Everything that you feel about faith, about the universe or whatever, shapes your belief system. You have one. And if it's not Christian, if it's not founded in the gospel of Christ, it should make the world jealous and confused. The church should make everybody else jealous because there is power in the church. There's power in Christ. So when the, every other view, when every other system looks and, and sees it, there should be a jealousy in it. There should be something that's frustrated. Christianity is a threat and always has been a threat to anything that's not God, that's anything that's not Christianity. Lies always fear truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So any other system that says this is life doesn't have life. Any other system that says this is truth doesn't have truth because Jesus is it. There's no other and so it'll always provoke jealousy. We can look at our friends, we can look at our atheist friends, our agnostic friends, our Hindu friends, or whatever, and we should see in our conversations there's frustration there. They're frustrated because we have peace. We have joy. We have the fruit of the Spirit that only comes through Him, that only comes through the transforming power of, of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So that's what I just got out of the first few verses. We got a whole lot more to go. Hopefully that... That was encouraging for you. Amen. Amen. One more thing about life. I pointed out capital L. I love this. I, this is hilarious to me because I'm, you know, 2,000 years removed from this, and I just know what I believe, and I say it's Christianity. What does the angel say, right? They're coming up hot on this scene. Like, all of a sudden, God's pouring out, and he says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people, all the words of this life, capital L. He didn't say, go speak all the words of Christianity, of faith. He says, this life, this life, capital L. The early church wasn't called Christian Christians. There was two different terms for them. The way, the life. <laughs> That's what they were, the followers of the way or followers and teachers of the life. That's really exciting. That the world was able to look at us and say, well, they're teachers and followers of the way, <laughs> the life. And Jesus says, I am the way, the life, the truth, the life. That's, people should look at me and my life and say, they've got the way. <laughs> he, he's, he's got it. He, not that everything's perfect, but that something inside of me just makes a jealous thing say, I want that. Does that make sense to anybody? That, that should be what comes out of us. And too often, we let everything else come out of us, and they're like, I don't want that. I don't like that guy. He's annoying, or he, he's angry. But when I'm following him, when I'm, when I'm on mission with him, I'm able to speak and declare the life. They're in prison, right? And the angel shows up and says, go and do this. The angel didn't say, hey, let me let, me let you out the door. Go sneak off into your houses and hide for a few days. Because like, that's usually what an escape a prisoner does, right? They, they go and hide. Jesus, or the angel, immediately says, go back into the temple and be back on mission. They were rescued for an urgent mission. There wasn't, go, hey, go hang out for a few days. It's, go do this right away. Go do exactly what you're doing again, right now. There's an urgent mission. I want you to hang on to that. Every time God rescues you from some urgent dilemma or some trouble in your life, some sickness, some, some struggle, you need to recognize the reason he rescued you isn't so that you can go have fun and have a good life. It's so that you can be back on mission again. It's so that you can testify, hey, God, just let me out of this. He just saved me from the struggle. 
every time. And sometimes we default to this like, I escaped, let's go relax a little bit. I'm going to go to the beach now and enjoy myself. Like, we can't do that with our Christianity. Every time you're rescued, every time you feel trapped and God answers your prayer, you need to recognize that he did it because you're on mission. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody. He didn't, the mission's not just so that you can have more life of the same life to live. It's so that you can declare his life. Now we'll move on. Verse 22. Well, part of verse 21, actually. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together for the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. And when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. That's a good word for it. They were really, really confused. They had no clue what happened. Houdini, right there. About, they were perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And, when, and someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Though usually the ones who commanded stoning to take place were afraid of being stoned. So, okay. This is the ultimate disappearing act right here. You put these guys in prison, you, you block the door, you lock the gates, and you leave, right? And you got, you got your guards there. The next day, they, they call for them to be brought out, and there's nobody there. They disappeared. This last Sunday, uh, I went out to, to dinner with some people to um, Texas Roadhouse, and I'm sitting there, and I have Haley beside me, my little six-year-old, and um, she's sitting there. And she taps me. She's like, Dad, watch this. And she's got three pieces of paper that she ripped off of a napkin, right? And she had, like, spun them around, you know, the follow the dot type thing. And she's got a little tiny piece of straw, straw wrapper underneath of one. And she says, hey, Dad, pick one, right? Because I didn't see what she did. I just look over, and she's like, pick one. I'm like, okay, I'll do this. And so I picked the one in the middle. And she picks it up, looking disappointed because I had found it, but it wasn't there. And I could see this panic come over her face. And she goes, she flips one, it's not there. Flips the other one, it's not there. She looks at me, how did you do that? And I'm like, it's magic. <laughs> like, I had no clue what I did. And she's like, it's magic. And then, like, she's, she's looking, she's moving salt shakers. She's looking everywhere for this thing, confused and, like, amazed. Because I had done tricks to her before where I made things disappear. This time, it wasn't my, I had nothing to do with it. And she's panicking and it's sitting on her lap. She wants to drop it somehow. So after a few minutes, she finds it, and she tries it again. This time, I watch her as she's swiveling it. Her elbow catches the piece of paper it slipped out, and she pushes it off to the side. Same thing happened, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's right there. And she's swiveling, where did it go? Like, she's panicked. Like, twice in a row, I was able to mesmerize my child by doing nothing at all. It was great. It was great. But this, this here isn't like that. Like, oh, let's, let's hide the disciples. An angel of the Lord says, hey, we, I'm going to let you guys out, but go back on mission. And the, the Sadducees, they're completely, they're perplexed. <laughs> How did this happen? To me, if that, was, if that was me, and I knew the doors were locked, I'd seen them do other signs and wonders, I'd seen them perform miracles, I'd seen or heard about at least the empty tomb of Jesus, and I lock them up, I have guards in front of them, and they show up and they're not there. At this point, 
I'm going to start having some doubts about my own thinking, right? But instead, such a jealousy and, and an anger is stirred in them. Like, let's capture them again. This time it'll work. But let's not let anybody be angry at us because we don't want to get stoned. So they sneak, they go into the temple. They're like, hey guys, come with us again. And they gently take them. If I was a disciple, I'd be like, no. <laughs> I know what you're going to do. I don't want to be locked up again. Like, that would be me. But that doesn't happen. Thank, thank God I'm, I wasn't one of the apostles because that's not what they do. They go with them. See, one, one thing I want to point out about this. When you're in the kingdom of God, when you're following him, when you're listening to the Holy Spirit and you're on mission, there are no locked doors in the kingdom of God. Does, does, that, does that mean that he didn't... Some people went to prison and died in prison. We see that with Paul. We, we see that some people... But when God has a mission for you, it doesn't matter if the door is locked in front of you. He opens it up. He keeps it closed. You walk through walls, whatever. There, if God's got a mission, there's no locked doors. Some of us, we feel missions and stirrings in our hearts and visions for our lives and purposes that we see, things that we got to do in this city, in our family, and we feel like every door is locked. But if God's called you to it, there's no locked door in his kingdom. There's no locked door for you. That doesn't mean that everything you desire will happen. But that doesn't mean if God's got a mission, it will happen. And we need to take that. There's no locked door in the kingdom of God. Verse 27. And when they brought them, they set before them, before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answers, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand as leader and savior and gave repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. They're asked, why are you doing what we told you not to do? And, and this, is, this is another, you're going to mark it down, another boldy experience. <laughs> Another, another moment of boldness. They say, you killed Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Holy Spirit. We're going to do what he says. You've been the religious system forever, the, the, the powerful system forever, but now the Holy Spirit's telling us what we will do, not you. They're, they're still at the point where they're, they're not... Public, they're not in public now. now. Now they're in front of the court. They're, they're with these guys. They have another opportunity to be killed again. And boldness strikes them again to declare the gospel, to declare the, the Sadducees' need for repentance. They pointed out the chief priest as sinning. Usually it was the chief priest pointing out to you your sin. Now they're looking at him and saying, you guys sinned. It's on you. You killed him. You missed the Holy Spirit. Boldy, boldy experience right here. Keep going. Thir- verse 34. Or 33. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel... Take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. 
and he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the, pre- in, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it'll fail. But if it is God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Okay, here's what happened for those of you got lost in all the words or whatever so all of a sudden this pharisee this this chief teacher here Gamaliel, shows up and he says guys time out let's not kill him i know you want to you're angry let's put we'll put them outside for a minute let's talk do you remember thaddeus or theodos when he rose up like jesus there were other people who claimed to have power or messiah or to want to revolt against the system and so when he came up what happened he was killed and his people dispersed. When this Judas of Galilee, when he showed up, they followed him, he was killed, they dispersed. So let me advise you, Sadducees, let's not kill him, let's let this thing ride out. Because if it's a man, it'll die. If it's of God, we can't stop it, you might be found opposing God. This is really, really good advice right here. If this is of God, it'll, you, you can't stop it. God will keep whatever God's going. But if it's man, it'll die out. And so they listen, kind of. <laughs> we won't kill them, we'll just beat them severely and then let them go. They still, they were angry, they wanted to murder them, so they backed down a little bit, but they, but they released them. What I want to point out here is something very strange. This man is all of a sudden unexpected rescue. Unexpected. He's a Pharisee. When God's got us on mission, sometimes he's got rescue that you don't even see coming. When you've got a plan and when you're being led by the Holy Spirit, when you're doing what he's called you to do, and all of a sudden opposition starts to pop up, you might have ambassadors for your cause. You might have rescuers for your cause that you never expected. The biggest sinner that you know might chime up and and defend you. The worst person that you know, the worst organization that you know, whatever it is, that per- your boss that you really, really don't like and they don't like you might come up to God's case and rescue you. You have no clue. You have no clue who God is sending by his common grace, by his sovereign will to intervene in your life and rescue you when he's got you on mission. These disciples did not expect a Pharisee to show up and say, guys, let's let him go. Pharisees and Sadducees also didn't get along. They had two different ways of, of thinking. And all of a sudden, these Sadducees listened to this Pharisee. Like, that's good advice. We'll take it. One more thing. Another thing I want to point out. Gamaliel here is not just some random guy. He is a well, well-known teacher, and he's also a teacher of Paul. We haven't seen Paul here yet. He's a teacher of Paul. We see that later on in the book of Acts. Paul was, prior to his conversion, Saul. So prior to his conversion, he was taught by Gamaliel. He was taught by him. This is the guy who advocates, let these new apostles, these Christians, or or followers of the life, or the way, let them go. And if it's not God, it'll die out. What was Saul's response to this whole thing? When he saw Christians 
uh, I'm going to hold your coats, start throwing stones. Let me, let me go to the next city, let's kill them all. Two very different thoughts. When Saul heard of these Christians, he wanted to kill them all because they were opposing, they were opposing the law. They were opposing the way that they've always done things. His own teacher, though, before said, let him go. Does anybody see like the big, God, how did you do this? How did you arrange this? This, this, this rescue all of a sudden, this moment. The very teacher of Saul rescued these guys. All the apostles were rescued by him. We can do this in our lives. Let, let, me, let me point out. Saul, we can, we can be like Saul. Where we can have godly influence teaching us a certain way of thinking, a certain pattern of, of how do we handle the gospel. We can spend all of our time learning about God and how to serve him, yet in our own immaturity, we can act out in our flesh and our own desires, just like Saul did. In his own zealousness, he sought to kill and wipe out these Christians. We can have every godly influence in your life speaking truth and grace and love into you, and out of your own flesh, you can do the opposite of what you've been taught. You know what I'm talking about? We've been there. Where I know this is what my teachers and the people that I love and the the people that are my spiritual fathers and mothers would say is true. But in my flesh, in this moment, I want to do this. We can quickly become like that. We got to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. I'm just kidding. That came out of nowhere, sorry. See, sometimes when we act out of the flesh there, when we do these things, it's because of our own fears and insecurities. When the Sadducees wanted to kill the, the apostles, it's because of their own fears, jealousies, insecurities. When Saul wanted to kill the Christians, it was his own fears, jealousies, insecurities. He didn't trust God to be God. He didn't trust God to just end it or grow it, like Gamaliel did. Let's not be people that let our own fears and insecurities come out with iron fists and crush it. Let, let God take everything that's not truth Everything that's a lie and wipe it out himself. Can we do that? We still speak truth in love. But anything that's not him, God's going to handle. It's been, I said this the other week, no adversity, no, no emperor, no coliseum, no liberal agenda, no whatever will stop Christianity. The gospel is always the gospel and it will always grow. It'll always endure because the word of the Lord endures forever. And God's got Christianity. He says that he'll build his church, not you and I. My fears, my insecurities don't need to defend the church. He needs to defend the church. Does that make sense? He will always defend the church. We'll finish this text here. This is my favorite. This is where we, we, we hang the bulk of our, our thoughts today on this. And I want you, I want, if you leave with anything, I want you to dwell on these two verses. Verse 41 then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were made, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, the, that Christ is Jesus. They were counted worthy rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. They left there not frustrated, angry, and stupid Sadducees. 
They keep putting me in jail. They keep trying to trap me. They keep trying. We just got beat. This isn't like they got a paddle, you know. This is a serious beating that they left with. Close to death. These are like Sadducees. We won't kill them, but we'll, we'll come pretty close. They were severely beaten for the gospel, and they left rejoicing that they had even been counted worthy to be dishonored for his sake. What does that feel like? What does that look like? For me to say, I love being dishonored, being disvalued, being mocked, ridiculed, beaten, all for his glory, all for his name. I'm worthy enough to be dishonored for him. That doesn't make any logical sense. But it's the heart of Christianity. It's the heart of a person who gets how great, how glorious Jesus is. How big he is. To say that I could even be mocked for loving you. That I could be beaten for loving you is the best thing ever. To rejoice in that. That verse, verse 41, challenged me at every area of my heart. They rejoice, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. We've created this Christianity in America. Not, I say we, but it, it happens in America. To where we think the gospel means we have life more abundantly. That means new cars. That means a better job. That means every riches and treasures of the earth. Sometimes, absolutely, God gives good things. But sometimes our delight and our treasure has nothing to do with our finances, nothing to do with our health. It has everything to do with glorifying him and exalting him and being mocked, beaten, and sometimes even martyred for his cause. I love that verse. We, we get this so backwards and we put it on all of our mugs, but we don't quite understand what it means. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to you. When we seek him first... Every desire of our heart has nothing to do with flesh. It all has to do with his kingdom. And we get that so messed up. If I love God and I go to church and I read my Bible, then I'll get my new Lamborghini. Like, the other day I was at Wegmans, because Wegmans is delicious for lunch. Uh, who would have thought a grocery store has great lunch? But I, I pull into Wegmans and I'm walking in, and there is a Ferrari sitting there, like two cars down from mine. And I, like, I walk out and I see this Ferrari and I stop for a second thinking, who has a Ferrari? Like, who, is he the manager of Wegmans, or is he just going here to pick up his organic food, which I can't afford organic food? Uh, and I'm standing here, like, I kind of stop for a second and look at it, but I don't want to be caught looking at it. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy coming to me and think, oh, no, he caught me. He caught me. And, he, and I, I look at it, and I'm, like, walking, and he looks at me and goes, what kind of car is that? And I'm like, it's a Ferrari. And he's like, oh, nice. And he goes in and gets in, like, this old car beside it. And I'm thinking, he might think that was mine. Like, like there's this whole, like, moment of, like, because, like, because now I just look like a cocky guy. Like, that's a Ferrari. Like, that's mine. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't want to be that guy. Like, it's not even my car. I, 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 almost, I literally thought about turning around and looking at it. It's not mine. Like, my, mine's the Honda beside it. <laughs> like, that, I wanted to be that guy. But when we see, when we seek the riches of this life, it has nothing to do with material things. It has nothing to do with the riches of the earth. Yeah, all, all the earth is his, and, and he gives it to his children. If we need anything, we can ask of him, and he absolutely loves to give it. But sometimes we need to rejoice in the fact that we can be dishonored and beaten down for his name's sake. Not for our own agenda, but for his agenda, for his gospel to be proclaimed. And we miss that in the church by and large. 
We create this system, and I talked about it a few weeks ago, about why do we not see healing enough in the church? Because so many churches, the only time we pray for healing is when we're in churches praying for our friends. It's the bless me club. Guess what? Jesus doesn't want you to live forever, physically, here now. He extends your life, he heals, it happens. But guess what? Everybody dies. When we get to heaven, we have life eternal. And he will come back, and some of us will bring back our mortal bodies. But guess what? Healing is not so that we can live forever, just so we never die. Healing is not so your best friend lives forever. That's not what it's for. Healing is so that the world will know and glorify God. Every spiritual gift, everything that he's put in your heart, every bit of life that comes out of you, absolutely doesn't benefit the church, absolutely doesn't benefit your life, but it's so that the world knows and sees him glorified. That's the purpose of these gifts. That's the purpose that he loves on his children because he loves you and he wants the world to see that he loves you. But sometimes we have to be able to say, God, if you want to make me dishonored so that you are honored, do it. And that's what these disciples, these apostles were able to say in this moment. Some people have traumatic experiences and they start trying to serve God, right? We've all experienced, we've seen that. Where all of a sudden you've been rescued from a traumatic experience. You're like, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to do everything, right? We've seen this after 9-11. We, we see this after every tragedy. We see this, we know that person who's, who's in a car accident almost died. And all of a sudden they change their thinking and they'll become less selfish. And that usually lasts for a few years. And all, next thing you know, the churches are empty again. They're back doing the same thing they were doing before. Because we quickly go back to living for ourselves. We don't, res- we don't recognize that every time we're rescued, it's for his glory, for his mission, not for our extended life. Does that make sense? God didn't save you from your sin. He didn't save you from your filth so that you could just be a happy little Christian. He saved you so that you could be on mission bringing the lost to him. So they could find life and life abundantly. Not only that you experience it, so that others experience it. Sometimes, though, when we face persecution, we're really quick to think that he's abandoned us. That he's forgotten about us. When we face persecution... And I'm, and I'm asking myself and I'm asking all of us. When we face persecution, whatever it looks like, and I know persecution in our society and persecution across the world are drastically different for Christians. But when we face persecution in any extent, do we see that he's abandoned us or do we have faith that he is using us for his glory? That God's doing something, that he is able to open every door, that we can walk out of there Let me read those two verses again. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for, his, for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This morning, I ask you a few questions before, if our worship team can go forward. Before we go into worship, I ask you a few questions. One, is your faith, is your faith and, and what you believe, is it showing life, the way, the truth, the life, and is it making others jealous? Is it causing them to question or is it causing them to be angry at you? I'm not saying everywhere we go, let's pick a fight. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
But I'm saying the truth of the gospel is always going to upset those who don't see the truth. It always will. That's why Jesus was able to say that brother against son and daughter against mother, the family can be in complete chaos because of the sake of the gospel. The gospel will always be divisive. Those who don't know it, who don't know life, will always fight against it. So does your faith do that? Does it cause jealousy? Does, is there power in it? Is there life-giving power in it that causes the world to scratch their head? And when you face persecution, when you, when you, when you face some kind of struggle, do you blame God or do you find, rejoice and say, God, be glorified. I'm thankful that I can even be dishonored for your sake. And when you come through it, this is the third question here. When you come through it, do you recognize you're back on mission right away? There's not some like waiting period, let's all recover and, and sip on some tea. There, there's a real mission for the gospel every time you're rescued. You can either give him glory or you can give yourself glory and, and a break. I don't want to be that guy who's like, every time God rescues me or the church or, or my family, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a nap now and think about what happened. No, I want to get back out there. God, do something through me. Let me use that tragedy or that experience to show the world how you're good. A few weeks ago, I talked about how every, every question that the world can answer always points out their need for him. He is the answer to every question. Even our tragedies, even our struggles, even our imprisonment, if you will, always points to his glory. Can we see that? Let's stand, let's worship. I want, I want you to be encouraged. Like I said earlier this morning, there is no shut doors in the kingdom of God. If he's got something for you, he's got something for it, for you. And no, no Sadducee, no, no political party, no family member, no Facebook status, no attack from work can stop that door that God wants to open. Does that make sense? That's exciting news this morning. Let's be a church that we recognize we've been redeemed, we've been rescued, but we've also been redeemed for a mission. We've been rescued for a mission. Let's be that church today, can we?